welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we study from Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. I will say there's been a lot of repetition in these addresses to the son of Solomon as he continues, as we see in verse 1 and 2 here, to tell his son to hear his father's instruction, gain insight, we'll come back to that, and not forsake the teaching. There is great value in repetition. If you've had a little child, you know how much they love repetition. We adults, we get bored. My child wants to read uh, this book for the 17th time in a row. Uh, Can't we read another one? We've got lots of them. No, Daddy, this one. And that's, that's just such a beautiful picture of how we learn and who we are. Repetition is good, and we recognize that. We build repetition. We build habits into our lives of the things that we prioritize, the things that we are interested in. We find a way to make those things happen again and again. It doesn't have to be different. We just get bored because of our sinful nature with things that are otherwise good. 
And so Solomon here giving the repetition to his teaching, you could say over the span of years of the life of his son. I don't know in what time window Solomon writes this book, if he wrote it quickly or if it took him his whole life. Nothing's told to us in that regard, but certainly the repetition of teaching is here. Now, it's interesting here that the sons of verse 1 is plural. This is not then considered the fifth address to his son, because it's not one son, but multiple. And it leads us to really ask that question, how many sons did Solomon have? The Bible only ever names one, the one who succeeds him as king, Rehoboam. Two daughters are mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 4, that they both had married his officials, Tephath and Basemath. Beyond those three kids, we don't know of any more. It's hard to imagine that there weren't others, as he married 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is a lesser wife, so he's got a thousand brides. To only have had three children would be quite a surprise. It's not a focal point in the reign of King Solomon. Which leads us to believe that this is written then to Rehoboam. Rehoboam is sometimes known as the fool. Rehoboam the fool, Rehoboam the foolish, for squandering his father's kingdom within the first couple months of his reign. This brings out the point of Ecclesiastes, which also was written by Solomon in his wisdom, where he points out that who knows As everything that you have goes to the one who follows you, you can't take it with you to to heaven or beyond, who knows whether that man will be a fool or if he'll be wise? Who knows if the things you toiled all your life for will be of any value or if they'll just be squandered? And Rehoboam squanders them. Now, in part, that's God's judgment against Solomon for his idolatry because not only did he have the thousand wives, he gave in to their paganism. He built altars for them to worship their false gods. His heart was not wholly true to Yahweh. And so the, the stripping of the kingdom from Rehoboam, his son, is actually God's judgment against the father, very specifically stated. So how Rehoboam would have done if Solomon, his father, had been faithful, we'll never know. But to consider Rehoboam in this context and all the instructions to keep his father's words and he doesn't. So we take this as the larger context of God the Father speaking to us, his children, and we hear it in that light instead. Now, in the context, verse 3, when I was a son with my father, is a reference to Solomon as a boy with David, his father. He was tender, the only one in the sight of his mother. And that would be Bathsheba. That he was, technically he's her secondborn. The firstborn was the result of the affair between David and Bathsheba. And as part of the Lord's judgment there, that son was killed. Now, Solomon then had a period of time where he was the only son of Bathsheba. From 1 Chronicles chapter 3, the list of David's children it would appear that Bathsheba, called Bathsheba there, bore him four sons. And for some reason, Solomon is listed last in that set of four. 
that's not quite our point here. So Solomon enjoying that time being the only child to his mother at that point. And so in this time, David taught him. And what did he teach him? Well, you get the quotation mark there in verse 4. Basically, though, he's teaching him God's word. Hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. This is going to connect to the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 continues, that your days may be long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving to you. Get wisdom. Do not forget, do not turn away. Once again, I want to point out the connection here of wisdom and Jesus. Yes, we can look at these words as wisdom, but we can also see something again if we look at them as Christ. So it's important to have wisdom. With wisdom in this world, the ability to discern good and evil, right and wrong, to be able to see two things and know what is best for you, for your family, for your neighbor, this is good. And it does, it it leads to longer life, usually speaking, especially in the land of Israel, a kingdom that is, well, of the Lord's people very intentionally. If you don't forsake her, she will keep you. She will guard you. So wisdom will care for you. Wisdom will protect all your days because it's protecting you from giving yourself over to evil. To exalt is to lift up. So to be wise will have you lifted up in the sight of your neighbors. You can think of the wisest people you know, and you tend to have a very high opinion of them, right? That their reputation with you is good. If you embrace her, so you hold fast, as David has already said in verse 4, she will honor you, bring you honor amongst men. Verse 9 then gives you the picture of a beautiful adornment, a crown of garland on your head, a beautiful crown. This has been spoken of very much similarly in chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, Chapter 1 had both the the head and the neck mentioned. Chapter 3 was just the neck, but the idea that wisdom adorns us. Third time now in the book. But again, see all of this as... Jesus, not just the way the world would see you, not just the the benefit to your life of doing wise things, but see this as Christ. So if we have Christ, if we do not turn away from his words, he will keep us. He will guard us. We think of the Lord's prayer that he would deliver us from the evil one. We think of all the various psalms and the language that they use about how God is our refuge and strength, our fortress, our our present help in times of trouble. The Lord protects us from evil, indeed. So, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, get insight. I did say I'd come back to that word insight. I'm not sure why it's insight in this chapter. It has been understanding up until this point, It's the same Hebrew word being used. So we have wisdom in contrast to understanding. I don't know if contrast is the right word. They're very similar. To have wisdom is, again, the right and wrong discernment ability. Understanding is to be able to take in that information. So maybe we would say that the understanding is the knowledge, the ability to have that categorized even in our mind. 
whereas wisdom is then the ability to know how to act upon it, what to do with that understanding and knowledge that we have. So here, that would be to learn of Christ. The beginning of wisdom in this case would be faith. The beginning of faith is learn about your Savior. Learn about our Lord. Prize her, wisdom, Jesus, highly, and he will exalt you. Think of Christ, right? When we believe in Christ, he will raise us from the dead. That's, that's a great exalting, certainly, before the whole world, the, the day of judgment comes and everyone will see, everyone will be raised, but we will be raised to life. We will be raised and placed into his kingdom, into his presence forevermore. He will honor us, that we would have honor amongst the nations. There's especially truth in Israel's day of that, as God's chosen and elect people, a specific nation that was honored from afar. And then the beautiful crown is easy. That's the crown of life from James chapter 1 verse 12 or Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. The prize that we seek, as Paul would describe it in his epistles, having run the race, having finished our course, we are decorated with the crown of life and welcomed into paradise forevermore. Verse 10 then begins the fifth address to his son. And again, a lot of repetition in this section to walk in the ways of of wisdom and uprightness and not to go in the paths of evil. Nothing particularly new in this. Your life will be many if you follow in these ways. Again, Exodus 20 verse 12, keeping God's command, so that your days may be long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. In ancient Israel, in a kingdom that was designed by God, made for his purpose, and operated under his law, moral, civil, and ceremonial, if they kept that law, things would go well for them. Again, in Christ, we know the world will hate us because we love Christ. So we no longer have that kind of a, a structure in In the new Israel, the New Testament Israel, we are scattered through the world, and the world will hate us. But our kingdom is not of this world, as Christ told Pilate. So instead, we are to avoid the ways of evil. If we go in the paths of wisdom and rightness, uprightness, our ways will go well. Again, Old Testament picture, certainly. Keep hold of instruction. Guard her. She is your life. To know Christ, to know the things of Christ, to know the words of God. Verse 16 is a strong verse against the evil in this world, that they can't sleep unless they've done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they've made someone stumble. Their evil heart, as they lay down to rest, is plagued because they haven't done enough evil. So as where the person who is a Christian, we shouldn't worry, but we often do. That's one of our sinful tendencies. Our worries tend to be over the things to come or the bad things that we've done, and we might lose sleep over our grief or our anxiety. But here, the the hardened heart of the unbeliever is being described as losing sleep because they didn't do more evil. They missed opportunities to harm And that pains them. Such is our sinful nature. 
Thanks be to God that he has rescued us from that slavery of evil that we once were a part of. Verse 17, you might talk about with your kids that they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. The contrast for your question, what bread, what wine do we eat and drink as God's people today? Here, this is their base sustenance is to do evil. Ours is to live on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And certainly talk about the Lord's Supper and the gifts that Christ gives in the Lord's Supper in and through that verse. Then verse 18, the path of the righteous like the light of dawn. Think John chapter 8 verse 12 where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It shines brighter and brighter until full day. So the picture given here in verse 18 is that of the rising sun, which chases away the darkness. But we can think of it also with regard to Christ, who has chased away the evil of this world by his death on the cross. He's chased our sin away from us. And the day will come where, when we reach full day, when we will be without sin forevermore. We will be perfect as we sit in his presence. However, the day of the wicked, deep darkness. They cannot see where they are going. They are blind and will fall into destruction. Both now and also forever. They do not know over what they stumble. That's a a fantastic picture of how dark it is. You think of your own house, if it's littered with toys from your children and you're stumbling across stuff in the dark and you can't even tell what you just stepped on. You just know it hurts. That's the way it is for evil in this world. They truly have no idea what's coming. It's part of our job to tell them and also to tell them of the hope that is in us in Christ. Then we get address number six to his son. Similar, attentive, incline your ear. Do not let them escape your sight. Keep them within your heart. So notice the sight, so the eyes and the heart there. Um, the picture of, of the body that our eyes would see and understand very much connects to Jesus' conversation that he often says about those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. It connects to faith. They are life to those who find them. Originally, this is speaking of commands. Think back to verse 4. Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. But then we move it forward, not just the commands of God, which gave the ancient people of Israel longer days, but we also connect it to this wisdom idea, and then through wisdom to Jesus. Jesus is life to those who have him. His word is life to those who have it. And we think of Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where Paul writes, Faith comes by hearing. And so we have heard the word of God, we treasure it, we keep it. Such is also how Paul instructs the pastor Timothy in his epistles, that he has heard that word of God from his mother, from his grandmother, that he would keep it, And also then later that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and correction and reproof. And to be ready in season and out of season to preach that word to others. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Good family conversation around that one could be how, how do we, how can we? How do we keep our heart? How do we hold on to this word of God? Major part of that's going to be 
having it, knowing it, right? Verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get it. <laughs> the beginning of I don't, the beginning of faith isn't really the right way to phrase it, but the thing that nurtures and strengthens our faith is to be in God's word again and again, daily, regularly. For from it flows the spring of life. We would think of Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 as he tells her that the water he gives to her will well up in her like a spring unto eternal life. And we know that to refer to baptism. So from God, from him, flows his gifts of life and salvation. So put away crooked speech. Put away devious talk. Remove these evil things from us. We have a good word to speak, not these negative ones. Very much a picture of the epistle of James. He tells us that we should not speak blessing and curses from the same lips. And then verses 25 through 27 basically are the picture to turn away from evil, to fix our eyes on the job that we have to do in front of us, the work that's been given us, which is to love God, to love our neighbor, to care for his creation. That your eyes are directly in front of you means they're not looking at yourself. One of our sinful definitions that we use, our definitions of sin, this really comes out of the days of St. Augustine, is that we are curved in on ourselves. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they were not made to care for themselves. Adam was made to care for Eve and creation. Eve was made to care for Adam and creation. As long as they were doing their jobs, everyone was cared for. And then sin hit. And when they sin, the first thing that they do is they look down and they realize they're naked. They look down. They look at themselves. That's our sinful nature, is to look at me, myself, and I, and to stop caring for those around me. So here we see a reversal of that in the book of Proverbs, that we would seek to love our neighbor as a part of the life that has been given to us by our King.